My name is Dr. Michaela Keegan Yadley, and I've spent the last 17 years of my career in schools as a teacher and principal. I started the Dissect Ed podcast to help you by using my strengths of connecting and relating to bring amazing guests to you each week. We will cover a wide range of topics related to all aspects of and roles in education. My goal? For you to enjoy and feel successful in your role so we keep amazing teachers and leaders in schools. Thank you for all you do. Take care and enjoy. This podcast episode is brought to you by the 3D Printing Man. Get everything from custom food bowls for your pets to chore lists for your family in more than 15 vibrant colors, all custom designed. Visit his store on Etsy by searching the 3D Printing Man, all one word. Again, that's the 3D Printing Man on Etsy and get 10% off with the code DISSECTED. Are you looking to elevate your classroom management or possibly even just improve it so that tomorrow is a better day than today was? Visit my website at drkeeganyadley.com, linked in the episode notes, to sign up for our free one-hour webinar on the five simple classroom management strategies that will work as soon as tomorrow. There's also a self-paced online course with a workbook for more extensive work in the area. Again, that's linked on the website, drkeeganyadley.com. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I am so excited to bring part two of our podcast series, the second part, the final part, with Mr. Glenn Parker to you today. If you remember two episodes ago, three episodes ago, we talked about positive influence leaders and he and his son took us through what they learned through qualitative research, right? So interviews with business leaders and other types of leaders and just and people in general about what leaders had an impact on them. And what they found was that instead of having just one type of positive influence leader, there are actually four types of positive influence leaders. And so we pick up today with Glenn taking us through what are the four types of positive influence leaders. And what I really am looking forward to you hearing in this episode are, are the following. One, anybody can be a positive influence leader. So this is not something that we go to school, to college, to a fancy university to learn how to be. Anybody can be a positive influence leader. Two, they wrote a book about this and called The Positive Influence Leader, and they are going to give away a free copy to the first five people who send them an email. So I will let you know in the episode notes how to do that, but if you go to thepositiveinfluenceleader.com, you will be able to find their emails, and you're going to let them know that you listen to the podcast episode, Dissect Dad, give your address, and let them know a vignette, uh, a story about how COVID and the pandemic has impacted your work. So the reason why this is helpful to them is because they are currently in the process of writing a second book, and it has to do with leadership in times of crisis. And I can't think of a more timely topic because they, did, again, did qualitative interviews where, uh, studies and interviews with various leaders. And Glenn has already written a fantastic article about, called The Tale of Two Restaurants, just giving us a snippet 
into what he saw uh, and then interviewed when he saw two restaurants close to each other, one that retained all of its restaurant employees throughout the pandemic and the other one who lost them all and the types of leadership and management styles that it takes to create a culture where employees want to stay and want to work. And he gets very definitive on what types of qualities, characteristics, and moves leaders need to make, especially during times of crisis, but all the time, in order to have a strong work culture. I can't think of something that is more talked about in education right now than that. And so with that, I bring to you our episode with Glenn, where we talk about the four types of positive influence leaders and the impact of the pandemic on leaders, and then what we've learned about leadership in times of crisis throughout this pandemic. And to it, we left off last time, we were just getting into, or we covered positive influence leaders, and we said there are four types. Um, So you said that you began your research looking for the profile of a positive influence right. leader found that there were actually many different ways people could be right. an effective leader. And you came up with four different types or styles of positive influence leaders. Can you tell us about that and what the four styles are? Yes. Well, as you said, we started looking for a profile because we thought that would would be the case because we wanted to be able to say this. If you want to be a positive influence leader, this is what you should do. Um and the answers, and we basically, you know, we had a sort of a tentative hypothesis that, that there would be a profile, but in fact, we just sort of let the data sort of speak to us. And we're seeing the, the answers come back um, in a variety of different ways, and they kind of clustered around four different uh, types. Um, and so, so let, let me describe what those four types are. Um, we call them uh, supportive, the teacher, positive influence leader, the motivating positive influence leader, and the role model. So the supportive leader is that person that sort of has your back. They say, you know, I, I'm here for you, Glenn. I I, 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 I I, can help you. I'll support you. I won't do it for you, but I'll show you the path forward. And so we found a number of people that had those kind of supportive people uh, in, in their life. For example, um, you know, Jennifer was uh, a person that we interviewed and she um, was a, had a love of history. And she got that from her mother mm. who was a history buff and she restored their home and she, you know, created it. And it was a, 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 a historic home and she recreated it using the original paint and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, her mother said a profound thing to her. She said, don't let anyone ever tell you you can't do something just because you've never done it before. And and I had never heard that. I had never heard that before, but I thought it was really, um, it, it, it was really impactful and it was on her as well. Um, and she also... Uh, Jennifer, that is, you know, got she wanted to ma- uh, major in history, particularly in American history, because she got kind of got that from her mother. And people said, "What are you going to do with a degree in history? Why can't <laughs> how can you, that to me. How can you make a living with a with a degree in history?" So, 
guess what? She's made a living in history because you know what? She is now a senior curator and leader at the Smithsonian Museum of American History. She's living her dream. And um, so we found a number of people like that, that had people in their life. Very often it was a parent, one of the first people in all our lives as a parent, could be a teacher, could be a, a first boss, could be a coach. In many cases, it was people they met along the way in significant positions that um, that that influence them. The teacher is somebody who teaches you what you need to know in order to be successful. They, it may be the skills, the knowledge, the information, but it also could be a set of values about mm-hmm. this is how successful people act and how and what they do and what is the right way. There are certain right ways of doing things. And so they teach them, you know, a, a sort of set of values. Um, for, for example, um, Leslie was a uh, was actually a teacher. And by the way, some of the teachers actually hold the title teacher. Yeah. <laughs> some of them, again, are parents or they're a, a coach, they're, uh, uh, you know, a manager in an organization. Uh, but in this case, um, Leslie was something, someone who had worked, been out in the workforce for a while and decided she had a calling. She wanted to be a teacher. She went back to school and she met Professor Carlson. Professor Carlson not only taught her the techniques of teaching, but she also, he also um, taught her or inspired her to be great. And that's sometimes what teachers too, they just, they, they, they inspire you to be great. And that's what uh, Leslie got from this and this sort of inspirational thing. And guess how great she became. She's a teacher in the New York City school system. There are what, maybe 10,000 teachers in New York City school system? Probably more. (laughs) Something like that. Three years ago, I think it was, she, she was selected as teacher of the year. Now, in, in wow. New York City, there's so many teachers, they pick about 20, but even 20 is absolutely significant. Um, yeah. Another woman that we uh, interviewed and in, um, was um, she a woman of a certain age. So she went back, she went to school to um, major in theater arts, thinking that as a woman during a particular period in time, the options that were available to her in theater arts were acting, writing, directing. But in the course of this, the curriculum, she had to take a class in technical theater. So she's in the class with her instructor, Jim, and he says, um, he says to her, Betsy, I want you to go up on that ladder and I want you to string lights across the top of the stage. And she says, what? (laughs) She said, I grew up in a small apartment in New Jersey. We never even had a ladder in our our apartment. I had never been on a ladder. And this was what looked like it was, you know, a, a ladder to the sky. And he said, you can do this. I believe that you can do it. And she said, okay. So she went up and she strung the lights. And she was moved by the whole experience. She said, I came back. And after that, I learned how to use power tools. And I built sets. And I created sound systems. And I, I 
made a career in the technical side of theater. And that's what great teachers can do. They can find that, you know, that something within you. The motivating positive influence leader is somebody who helps you find your true north, your purpose, your like who you're supposed to be in this life. And remember, I told you about my first boss, Larry. Larry found in me, uh, I thought I was just sort of a nerdy researcher looking up stuff and writing reports. And he saw that I could be uh, a, a trainer, a leadership trainer, and he found, helped me find my true north. And there are a lot of people like that that sense something in you that maybe you didn't even see in yourself. And that's one of the great things about it is that they, they find that something within you um, and they help you bring it out. Mm -hmm. um, and they kind of empower you to, to take action on that. Uh, the role model is just as you might suspect by that, is that is somebody who provides an example. Oh, this is how you're supposed to do it. This is how you're supposed to act. Um, and one of the people we interviewed, who's now a, a senior leader, vice president of human resources in a large healthcare organization, his first boss, he said, I watched him and I watched what he did. And I said, okay, I'm going to do that. I, I see that's how you lead people. And I, he said, one of the key things that I, I learned from watching him was his actions matched his words. He walked the talk. And that's one of the critical things about a role model. You can't just say you should be very customer-oriented or patient-focused right. or child-centered. You have to actually do it. And that and people are watching leaders all the time. They're watching what you do and they're watching to see if those actions match those words. Um, and we have some some and by the way, you don't have to and you don't have to in all cases having have met your role model. Okay. Very often role models are some remote figure that we watch, you know, Michael Jordan uh, was a role model to a generation of basketball players and others. Right. right. Oprah Winfrey in the same way. And people never met them. Um, the key thing that um, I always say, because I'm a big basketball fan and um, about Michael Jordan is the, the, the players that were really smart didn't copy his jump shot. They copied his work ethic. Mm. First in the gym, in the morning, last to leave at night, practice, practice, practice. Um, and if, you know, as, as we always say, as Michael and I always say, you, you got to put the work in. If you want to put the work in, you can be a great leader. And that's what role model leaders do. So those are the four types. Those are the four styles. Um, all of us can be any one of those. And sometimes we're more than one. And, and no one of them is better, by the way. It's just what works for us. So, so if I, I listen to this description of the four types, and I think I might be one or maybe even two of them, how do I get a more specific reading on what my style is and how does it help me be a more effective leader? Funny you should ask. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in, in the back of the book, uh, there's a self-assessment survey. Uh, it takes about 20 minutes to fill out. It's 18 items. 
you self-score it, uh, and you get a reading on which of the four styles is your primary style. Okay. Your primary. But what we believe, and this is, you know, going back to years and years of, you know, psychological research, is that there are, per people have a variety of personality types. You can be more than one. So, and very often people are two of those four are their primary style, but all of us have the capacity. This is important to understand. All of us have the capacity to be any one of those four styles. I love any that message. Of, yeah. Any that. one of those four styles and the really smart leaders can call up one of those other styles when it's necessary, when it's needed. And when the person they're working with absolutely needs that style. So, so what do you do with the results? You say, okay, I, I, my, my primary style is, is role model. So what you can do is then say, okay, now maybe I want to be a better role model. I, I want to be more effective as a role model. I can also say, though, maybe I want to be a more well-rounded positive influence leader and bring in some of the strengths of the other three styles. Um, so, uh, that's what you, you can do. And so, um, so anyway, so that's what people do now. It's also helpful <laughs> say this with all modesty. It's helpful to read the book because yeah, the book absolutely. has, uh, descriptions in great detail of the four styles, including many examples, some of which I gave here, but there's many more in the book that really, um, uh, highlight what uh, in, in practice, what those four styles do. You know, given the fact that you've done the qualitative work with leaders to identify the four types of positive influence leaders, and then you've created an assessment that can help me understand what my primary style is. And then I can go back into the book and read more about that, the characteristics, and then read about the other three styles that, I, like you said, I might want to develop more or bring more out in myself or just figure out how to. The fact that it's all there in one book, that's amazing. It's ama what an amazing resource. Um, yes. And it's, it's also, it, 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 it's not, you know, an 800 page tome. It's, it's pretty brief. And um, when we, you know, we get right to the point. And so yeah. I think that's, um, the, the case as well. So, and again, like you said, anybody can be a positive influence leader. So there's really no reason not to pick up this book and read it because it's not like we have to get a fancy degree from a fancy institution in order to be a positive influence leader. We right. all have it in us to do it, like you've said. So I think that, um, this is a great place to start for people who are either looking to, get into leadership positions and don't really understand necessarily themselves as a leader yet. It's a great self-assessment tool. Um, I mean, I, I love that. And, you know, as we've been talking a lot about positive influence leadership, I've said to you, I think this resonates so much with everybody in the education space for different reasons. I think that for school leaders or educational leaders, they aspire to be hopefully the best leader they can be for the people they're leading and understand that it takes lots of different skills to do that. And I think for teachers and leaders, we have had negative leaders leadership in our lives 
there, I don't think you would find many people who haven't. I've been fortunate to have incredible leadership and also extremely negative influences. And so I've been open about that with you. And I have a question. What did you find from your interviews about how people learn to cope with the negative influences or negative leaders that they've had? Um, You know, it's a great question because we actually started out um, and we got to two or three, four interviews and somebody said to us, aren't you going to ask me about negative influences? Because I've got a lot more of those than I do. And we said, oh, I think we should. So why don't, why don't you start telling us? And so that's what we, from then we went back and got the first three. And then we, from there, are we, we asked people negative influences in your life and what did you do to, um, to cope with it? I mean, it, is, it, is it possible that you grew up uh, and you were fortunate enough to have nothing but positive influences in your life. And, you know, the first time you uh, you got on a you tried to ride a two wheel bike, mm-hmm. you know, someone was there to support you. And, and the next time you tried out for the school or audition for the school orchestra, someone would say, you can do this. You got this. Or you tried out for the field hockey team. There was someone there pushing you and saying, boy, you're. But many, in many cases, that's, you know, that, that didn't happen to us. Right. You know, there were, there were ne- the forces of negativity, as we say, are everywhere. I mean, these are the kinds of, you know, kinds of things that people had said and did say to us that they heard. Some people would say to us, and by the way, and all in good earnest and good, good conscious, they think they're being helpful to you by saying, well, you know, I'm just trying to be realistic. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a long shot if you uh-huh. want to do that. Or, you know, that's not really a good career for a woman. Mm. Mm. Um, and by the way, <laughs> I come back to the original one with Jennifer. What are you going to do with a history? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So it, it, people will say those kind of crazy things to you. You know, for for example, um, uh, Jerry, who was a, 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 a colleague of mine who had a long career in General Electric uh, as an engineer, then an engineering manager, um, he told me this story about when he was in high school and he w- was talking to his career counselor and he said, and she said, well, what do you want to do? He said, well, I want to, I'm, I'm going to college and I want to have a double major in business and engineering. And she gave him the look. Mm. The look like, are you kidding? And he got the message. Uh, it didn't deter him. And he, you know, he, he went on to college and he, he graduated with a double major in engineering. <laughs> and that, as I said, and so I, I said to him, I said, Jerry, do you think that you, she said that to you because you're African-American? He said, Glenn, no, she was just bad at her job. She was just bad at her job. He said, I said to him, Years later now, this is years later, I'm talking yeah. to you, did you, ever, did you ever go back to school and see her and say, oh, by the way, yeah. <laughs> and he said, nope, didn't have to. Yeah. What Jerry did is, and this is a strategy a lot of people use, which was 
to turn that negativity into a into a into motivation. You think I can't do that? I'll show you. And that's what he did. And he didn't need, you know, he didn't need verification from her. He had it from within within himself. Um, so um, the other th the other thing that um, so one of these using the negativity as 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 motivation. Another is to use it as a learning experience. Uh, a young woman that um, we interviewed, uh, Mindy, who uh, started out working um, in a women's health clinic. She worked for a woman who was just a bad leader. She fostered conflict among people. She never gave any kind of positive feedback. She rarely listened to ideas from anybody uh, that, that worked for her. So, so Mindy took it all in. She, uh -huh. she couldn't afford to say uh, to quit. She needed the job. And she couldn't afford to do it. So she used this as a learning experience. And mm -hmm. she said, she took all of that in and said, when I get my chance, I'm not going to do that. I understand the impact because I was a recipient of it. So she now runs, by the way, a, a clinic for people who have been sexually abused in Florida and very successful. And she runs a terrific program and she attributes a lot of that to that negative experience that she turned into a positive. So people do um, a variety of different strategies to over overcoming them. It's not easy. I'm not no. implying that it's easy, but people do cope um, with it and overcome it and make good use of it. Yeah, um, you know, and I, I think that's important to point out. Like there are though I think those two examples or those two coping strategies are really important to mention on this episode because the turning the negativity into motivation is something that I think there are people who, who do that. And then sometimes in our experience as teachers or as school leaders, sometimes it's so hard to, in the moment, to do that. And we get, we can get crippled by that negativity. But that's, I think, where number two comes in, the second strategy you mentioned, which is, um, you know, using that, saying to, your, saying to yourself, you know what, I, right now, I don't really have a way out of this situation. I'm having trouble even being motivated by it. But I know this is teaching me something. I'm learning what not to do when I, you know, when I become a leader or I know what type of teacher I don't want to be, or it's, it's teaching yes. me about myself and to take whatever we can as a learning experience. I think that's a great one to, to identify and to mention specifically on, yeah. on this episode. Yeah. 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 So here's, here's a question. Let's say I'm a principal or a superintendent, perhaps a president of a nonprofit, maybe a CEO of a hospital or a senior manager of IT or another organizational leader, because I know you've spoken to people from that represent all of those roles. Um, how do I make use of or implement these ideas in my organization? What do you recommend? Yeah. So th this is what we call the so what question. Oh, yeah. this is this is interesting, Glenn. Oh, we have all have four styles. Oh, that's interesting. And I'm going to find out what kind of style I am. And I'm going to uh, enjoy it and think about it and talk to my friends about it. And it's nice to cocktail party talk and, and the like. Um, 
So, but Michael and I are, are practitioners. So we're always thinking about how is this going to help people? In, how are we going to help people in organizations? So how do you, how do you, how do you do this? Well, there's a number of things that you can do. And we, we thought about this a lot when we, when we wrote the book. At the end of every chapter, there are four questions um, that ask you to stop and think about what you just read and try to make it, how do you internalize that and, and make it real for you? And we originally wrote this these questions to stop people from racing through the book, stop at the end of the chapter and think about it a little bit. Yeah. For example, a chapter on role model, we, we, we might say, hey, you know, who's been a role model in your life and how have they impacted you? Yeah. Simple question, right. but it, it can be really uh, insightful. Now, what happened, Kayla, is that a couple of leaders said to us, you know what I did? I had people in my staff read the book. We read it chapter by chapter. And at each staff meeting, we discussed one chapter and used those four questions as sort of professional, as a professional development um, activity during that meeting. We took 15, 20 minutes, half an hour to discuss the chapter using those four questions. I thought that's a very creative kind of thing to yeah. do. So the other thing is that, as we said, you can do use the uh, the self-assessment at the back to do your own personal development. There is also a 360 version of it, which means that people can get six or seven of their colleagues, members of their team, stakeholders that they work with, their boss, people that report to them to fill out the same survey, same items, worded in a way that you're, you're answering it for another person. Yeah. And so that you get your self-assessment, how you see yourself, and then you get the perceptions of a six or eight people um, that that know you well. So you yeah. get that feedback and that gets combined. Um, so you take that information and there's, we, we also, let, let me just stop and say that the, the self-assessment survey, the 360 survey, are also published in separate booklets by our publisher, HRDS, okay. to make it a little easier. Because when you're doing with a book and you have to, the back, it's a little hard to, you know, do, it's a little harder to do the writing. But if you right. want to do it, you can fill it out on the, the self-assessment booklet. You get the 360 results from these other people. There's also a third booklet, which is a leader's guide on how to use the information, how oh, to do development activities. Yeah. Uh, so what you would do is you would take that data. If I'm doing a, you know, a personal leader development activity, yeah. take that information and say, okay, what are, what are people saying my strengths are? What are the areas they think I need to improve? And now what do I do to implement that, to try to get better as a leader? What are some certain steps that I can actually try out on the job to make use of this to go to that next step, to go to that next level as a positive influence leader. You can also use it for team development yeah. because you're getting each person on the team fills it out on themselves. They get feedback from all the members of the team. And so now we're looking at how do we strengthen not just ourselves, but our team, because maybe our team 
has got uh, some hole in it. And so maybe how do we fill that hole within our team? You don't fill the hole by going out and hire, you know, getting a yeah. free agent to come in yeah, and yeah, right. you, know, right. <laughs> you, you, you do it by development within the organization. So there's a number of, you know, development activities. And that's what we, you know, we feel so strongly about that we want people that not only find what we do interesting and insightful, but also practical and, and usable. Yeah, absolutely. So. And it sounds like it's just that. So that's really exciting. So yeah. I know um, this is actually how I, I reached out to you because I actually learned about your follow-up book that focuses on being a positive influence leader in a time of crisis. And I'm sure you can imagine why that spoke to me as somebody who's in educational leadership. Can you give us a sneak peek of your initial findings? I know you're still working on it. What were the biggest challenges that leaders faced or are still facing during the past two years? The, the challenges uh, are, were enormous. They, they were enormous. And I'm just, again, I'm just going to touch on a couple of them okay. uh, today that are the most dramatic. One, quite frankly, was the, just the emotional toll on everyone. Just the the emotional toll on everyone. Um, I'm I'm going to just give you a couple yeah. of quotes from interviews that are you know just hit me. Uh, one person said, "The challenge for me was how do I control my emotions and still make good decisions." My biggest this is another one. My biggest concern was the mental health of our people while trying to maintain the positive culture that we had built up over the years. Um, it, you know, just dramatic, just the, the emotions that, that leaders were feeling themselves and trying to remain strong for their people, but also what they were seeing in people in the, in, in the organization. Another one was, for some of the people that worked for me, the, the work day never ended for some of them because they would go home and they had school-aged children at home who were coping with trying to learn virtually, uh, doing the homework. Uh, there Maybe there were some stresses and strains within the family. Maybe they were concerned about finances. Maybe some, one, of the, um, one of the parents might be losing their job. Um, all these kinds of concerns about health. Will, will I, will I get anybody? Will, will we get COVID? So there's a lot of emotion that was going on there that people uh, were facing. Adding to that, all, if, if you remember during this time, you had the, the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor by the police yeah. and the, the related, um, protests that involved millions and millions of people that had impact on people within the or within organization yeah. and also remember during this time that uh, public racism was listed as a public health as a public health crisis because uh, it impacted people's health when when people were impacted by racism there was a high propensity among um, African-American people for uh, heart attacks and stroke and diabetes and a number of other uh, stress-related uh, illnesses. So mm -hmm. all of this was all of this was going on. And of course, 
we, we also interviewed uh, real estate CEOs who had uh, shopping centers that were impacted by the protests where, you know, there were broken windows and yeah. people go going into the stores and uh, business was halted because of all of those, those kinds of things. Um, we, Eric Nordstrom, who was the CEO of Nordstrom stores um, f- during this time flew to Florida. This is quite dramatic. He flew to Florida because an employee of Nordstrom's was mistreated by the police and he went to meet with the police in that town because he was that concerned about his employee and the impact on other Nordstrom employees. Uh Um, The uh, Hans Vestberg, the CEO of Verizon, was very concerned about what was going on in the country and how it impacted uh, Verizon employees. He did an all-hands talk Uh, It was also recorded video and you actually can find it. Uh, You can find this talk online. It's very dramatic. He actually broke down in tears uh, because he said, well, I'm not African-American. I'm hurt by this. And he said, no one should go through something like this. And no Verizon employee should be impacted by something like this. So that that was one of the big challenges, just this emotion that was was. pouring out and impacting people in all types of organizations. And then just briefly, there's the disruption of just normal work protocols. Yeah. Uh, It just, things were not the same. It just, you know, when the CEO of a hospital says to me, Glenn, on March 15th, we admitted our first COVID patient. And two weeks later, we had 90 of them. And we didn't know what we were facing. Mm-hmm. We had infectious disease doctors, but they had never seen anything like this before. We we didn't know how to diagnose it. We didn't know how to treat it. I mean, we were, it, it was, we didn't know anything about it. Another CEO at healthcare said, we, 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 we had difficulty getting a diagnosis because we had to send tests to the, um, to the CDC and wait two and three days to get the results back. It was extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And then we, there was no real treatment for it. So uh, th- there was this just disruptive, disruptive thing that, that people were, were, were facing that was just um, dramatic and caused a lot of pressure on leadership during this time. And we're going to talk about somewhat about, you know, you know some, of their, some of the ways that they, they coped during this time um yeah i i mean i'm looking that i definitely want to um to talk about that because you know just hearing the couple of examples that you gave i think it's important for people to hear you know that hey there were all these impacts emotionally on leaders and one of the one of the most prevalent was the worry and concern for their the people who they who they worked who worked for them. Right. And then another one of just like, Hey, this is the first time we've ever had to deal with something like this. So we're trying to move forward and do the right thing, but we don't even know what we're dealing with. I think those are really important to pause and, and just st- stamp again, because it's important perspective for people to, to hear that you can be a great leader and not always know what to do or exactly what the answer is. But my question I think is, 
you know, there must have been things that went well and things that yes. didn't during this time. Can you tell me about some of the yeah. things that went well and what didn't go well during this time? Well, I'm glad you asked because, you know, I, I, I'm thinking, you know, people, when you hear what I was talking about there in terms of, you know, this emotional toll on people, um, leaders, many leaders and many of the leaders that, that we talked with, interviewed, stepped up. Mm. And, and and did some extraordinary kinds of things and did some new and different things okay. or did something more of that they were doing in the past. For example, a couple of things that they reported to us. One is there was a, 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 a increase in collaboration and innovation during this time, collaboration and innovation. For example, the CEO of a company that owns 21 Red Robin restaurants. And for those of your audience uh, that are not familiar with them, it's a, um, it's a, a restaurant chain um, that would be like Applebee's. I think people, a lot of people know Applebee's because they do a lot of national. It's that kind of restaurant. Yeah. And so prior to this, these, the 21 that were in this one company would compete to be the number one company by, by various metrics. The general manager of each of those restaurants competed to be the number one manager. During COVID, that changed. They became collaborative. When one of the restaurants had a good idea, they shared it with the other restaurants to so they could implement it. If, for example, you know, they... they they shortened their menu to make it easier on the kitchen and make it easier on the servers. They, they shared that with the other restaurants. So there was much more collaboration and sharing um, across the restaurants with good ideas. Um, uh, one, we, a number of the, uh, one, of, one of the people that we interviewed was a general manager of a Marriott. Now, Marriott, like a lot of other, like the restaurants, like uh, other parts of a, of a large organization, they have rules and regulations. You have to do it this way, not that way. And he said, during this time, we pushed back on some of those rules and said, if it really doesn't help our guests in the hotel or our employees, maybe we shouldn't do it. Or maybe we should do something else. So they became more innovative uh, during this time and not as accepting of, oh, that's the way it is, or that's the way it's always been. Um, one of the best examples of collaboration during this time, back probably the most, one of the most famous public-private um, partnerships took place at the Javits Center in New York City. Now, for, again, people who don't know the Javits Center, it's a large convention and trade show uh, center in New York City. Some of the biggest trade shows, industry shows, do their annual event there. That all shut down. Nobody right. was going to a trade show. Right. Uh, large groups of people in a, in a, in a small area. So... Um, the, the CEO teamed up with the Army Corps of Engineers, and they built, within a week or two, uh, a 25-bed field hospital because New York City hospitals were overwhelmed. If you remember at the beginning, 
you know, COVID hit New York, New Jersey, Connecticut uh, very dramatically, and they had the highest uh, highest incident rates. Uh -huh. uh, and so the hospitals are overwhelmed. So they built a hospital in the Javits Center. Wow. It was extraordinary because, and so the collaboration was there because you had the Army Corps of Engineers who has their way of doing things uh -huh. and the Javits Center people and all their tradespeople have their way of doing things. Uh -huh. Everybody gave a little bit and it worked. Um, so uh, anyway, so those, those are some of the things about collaboration. The other side of this is that there was, there became more of what, I, I came to call a, a community of caring, where there was oh, okay. more yep. caring for each other, the, a, a culture that started to focus more on the employees and the employees' well-being. Uh, and to think of the employees, the, the totality of them, that they our concern for them doesn't end when they walk out the office door or the hospital door or uh, or the restaurant that we're concerned about the total human the total human being and that's what a lot of these leaders did um so what many of them did for example in the hospitals and other places the, the hospital ceos they were walking the floors they were walking the floors and they were saying uh, how's it going what do you need? How can I help? What 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 is it about the rules and regulations you don't understand that I can help you with? Um, the we we interviewed the COO of Amtrak. He was walking the platforms of the stations. He was riding the trains, as were a number of other leaders in Amtrak, talking to the employees and saying, um, "What do you need?" What's concerning you? Uh, they started to also like on the trains because, you know, you got some you, just as you you heard more about it on planes, rowdy passengers. Yeah, right. You know, I'm not right. wearing a, I'm not wearing a mask. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. You know, they he simply they, they simply said to the onboard employees, you, you're not here to fight with passengers. Uh -huh. Somebody doesn't want to wear a mask or somebody sitting next to someone who does or near someone who's not wearing a mask, you're, you're free to move them to another seat in another car. Um, so there was, a, a, you know, sort of a, a caring. There was get, people, uh, organizations were giving and leaders were giving time off for people who were, they felt were, were stressed out, were burned out. Um, there were no layoffs in a lot of places. Um, they kept them, they, they sent them home because they didn't need them, but they kept them on the payroll. Um, and this was an interesting one. Um, one of the leaders said to me that we all showed in this organization that it was okay to be vulnerable, that we're a little scared too. We're, we're a little afraid for, to get, that we might get COVID, that we're not sure that we're doing the right thing. And it was okay to show that we had a little uncertainty, that we're human too. And that that made people, that created we're a, a sense of we're all in this together. We're all in this together. And that's when you get a community of caring. And that was one of the real positive outcomes from, um, from this 
this period of time. And a lot of that is going to continue because people discovered that there was there there that the employee there were a lot of resources among the employees that were not being used. And so you're seeing more the more and more empowerment mm -hmm. because they're saying to people, let them, some of these people got some great ideas and and we we need to just uh, unleash them and let them go. It sounds like you wanted to jump in. I well I I I have to for my listeners because hearing you know hearing you talk about especially uh, the community of caring and the collaboration piece, but the creating a more caring community. I mean, I'm going to say the educators listening right now are saying. Where are these leaders and what can, can they please come talk to our leaders? And, you know, there are, there are school leaders who are saying, yes, where are these people and can they come lead us? I think if the call to action here is for anybody who's listening who might be in a district level leadership position or higher to really explore this because for some reason, this does not seem to be translating over into education whole scale there are pockets, but those pockets would have existed without a crisis too. Um, those leaders that, you know, are are doing whatever they can to make their their teachers feel or their school leaders feel cared for, truly cared for yes. and cared about. Those those leaders were doing that anyway. But it is hard to find anybody right now who actually feels that they're cared about and cared for in the education field. And so it's time for, for, for us to catch up to these best practices and the things that are going well, because I know that there are organizations who have really done well for their employees during this time. Yes. Um, so let me just, um, let, let me just go to what, what were some lessons learned during okay, this great. time? Because we asked people, what'd you learn? What'd you learn about yourself? What'd you learn about the people in your organization? What might change going forward? Um, and some of them are, I, I think, are really pretty profound. One, one was we, we sort of captured under the title of less power, more listening. Mm. Less power, more. And for example, here's what one of the leaders said. I learned that I don't always need to be the... The, the first guy in the room to come up with the answer. I don't always need to be the so-called leader. Um, I need to be the person that listens. Because there's, we found that there's a lot of good ideas in the, in the, among the people in our organization. We need to listen to those ideas and encourage people to, to bring them up. Um, sort of a corollary of that is that it's one of them said it's it's important to be humble to be fallible to be open and to show myself to the team and especially and you'll like this that i care about them huh. yeah uh, that more power less power more listening and that's what we sound over and over again that people were, the leaders were accessible. They were available. They were out walking around and talking to people. You know, there's one thing, there's a difference between being out there and being accessible. There are some yeah. people who yeah. are just not approachable. They, you can, they can stand in the hallway during breaks 
and not, you know, people are ooh, sort of intimidated by of that. Yeah, of so, so there's that. Um, the, so, so the the other thing was about the value of empowerment, and I, you know, and I've said this several yeah. times, but it's important because people said it to us that there's a salutary effect of empowerment in organizations. Many leaders learned that em employees were capable of so much more, so much more so in the ways of creativity, but also just day-to-day -day responsibilities. As, as, a, as one of them said to us, we have lots of capable people. We just need to unleash them. Yeah. If I tr another one said, if I trust people more, leaders will emerge. So a lot of them, they, they said, as a result of this, I think I'm going to be a better leader because wow. of what I sort of was figuring out on the, on the fly during this time. And I realized, wow, this works. If I just listen and I'm open and people say, well, why don't we try this? Uh, there's lots of great ideas out there. And so, you know, empowerment works. You know, one of the things, one of the old, um, this is actually a favorite of mine, um, but, you know, how how leadership is very fad oriented, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like yes. The, the, the new shiny object. Right. Years ago, there was a thing. Um, it was called management by walking around. And that has been rediscovered because these leaders are out on the floor. They're walking you know, they're, they're out available and accessible and they're right. doing more of that. Um, it's hard to keep up. Right. And that's one of the things that um, didn't work out. Some of them said that it was hard to keep that up over a long period of time. Um, and so, uh, you know, the kind of informal communications and, and listening dropped off after a while. Mm -hmm. And you know, people reverted back to email and that wasn't good, but they recognized that it wasn't good. Yeah, that's so, good, yep. So there's more and more of that. Um, the, the the last thing, and I, I wanna, I, I know we might be up against the time uh, crunch a little bit here, but I wanna get this in because a couple of these yeah. things are so powerful um, that, the, the, the one area was that it was very stressful for many leaders, very stressful. And they owned up to that. They, they didn't say, well, I got this, you know, when I was really, no, a lot of them were very human and very humble about it and talked about how the stress impacted them. Mm -hmm. Listen to this one. I took things too personally. It got to me. I had a heart attack. From, the, from this experience, I learned that I need to go with the flow more. I need to empower my staff more. That was wow. really powerful. But yeah, he had the heart attack and we're, you know, we're, we're moved by that. But he came back to say, I learned something from it. Um, another one was, he said, I internalize a lot of stress in trying to be there for everybody. Does this sound familiar? Yeah. I felt that people in, I felt that people in the organization expected me to always be there. Yeah. And so it created a lot of stress for a lot of these leaders. <clears throat> and 
Um, so no. I, I admire the much that they did do. And also when, and I think a lot of them used the interview with us as a learning experience too, because it caused them to reflect on this experience because we send the questions out in advance for the interview and uh, they think about it. And mo most of them yeah. come in prepared, they got notes. And so this was an opportunity for them to be reflective about, gee, how did, what happened and how did I handle it? And so um, I, I think those were, you know, some really, you know, some powerful learnings uh, from this experience. And we're, we're, we're still learning more. Uh, and um, so, uh, but thank you for asking about this um, because it's, it's, um, it's been helpful to me as well to review a lot of this experience that we've just been, we're still gathering. We're not, we're not even finished yet, but I'm happy to be able to share this with your audience. And uh, I hope that we'll get some, uh, some comments back about their experience and how, what we talked about here in terms of listening and empowerment and engagement and the like um, impacted their organization as well. Yeah, I would love to. I would love to get that feedback to you because, you know, you're you're really on the the precipice. Like you're you are right there with getting some of the lessons learned from you know from this pandemic, um, and especially in the area of leadership, it's so important to to really be reflective and learning and then growing. Where can people get these? experiences to this if they want to share with you any of their stories or information how can they do that well they they can uh they can contact um they can contact me at uh the website which is glenn g-l-e-n-n -N, at the positive influence leader.com that's glenn at the positive influence leader.com i would love to hear um their story uh and i will say this uh, as well, um, the first five people that write with their story and request a complimentary copy of the book will get a signed copy of the book. You, of course, you have to give me your mailing address, <laughs> <laughs> that little detail. Um, but yes, so we'll we'll open that up to um, to five people um, to uh, get a copy of the book. Um, if you send me your address and and just a brief, a little um, vignette about uh, how the uh, the uh, the how, how COVID and the pandemic impacted leadership in your organization and and what you saw. I think you will get. Um, I'm putting this in the episode notes now. I think that you will get in, definitely get input from listeners on this because it's an important topic for definitely for my audience and it's a very meaningful topic for them. And just before we wrap up, where can people get your book and more, where, yeah, where can they get? Well, you can, um, you can get it from the publisher, which is HRD press. That's, uh, hrdpress.com. You can contact them. Um, 1-800-1-800, go to hrdpress.com okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you can also get it, of course, on Amazon okay. as you can get everything, yeah. um, uh, on Amazon. And, um, of course you can follow us, both Michael Parker and I, Glenn Parker on LinkedIn. We're pretty active on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. uh, and, 
Um, you can also go on the website. There's a blog, which your listeners may um, be interested in, called um, Stories of Positive Influence. Oh. We, we have collected, because a lot of people, after the book was published, after the book was published, would come up to us and said, you know, I had a positive influence in my <laughs> life, and I want to tell you about it. And I said, mm -hmm. oh, so they would tell us, and they told Michael. And uh, so we said, well, just write it up, you know, 100 words, 200 words, and you'll see, you know, 25 or so of them oh, on this blog on the website, which you, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll find interesting. And what we did is we commented on it and said, oh, this is a good example of, you know, a role model, positive influence leader. Yeah. So we try to use it as a little bit of a learning experience as well. I think that's, um, that's great. I thank you so much for joining. I know you're leaving tomorrow for vacation. Well, deserved vacation. You've been working so hard and joining us on the podcast. I know we've got, gotten a lot of value out of it. I can't wait to get these books into our listeners' hands and also give them an, uh, an opportunity to share their experiences over the past couple of years with you. So have a wonderful vacation. And thank you again so much to you and, for, and to Michael for joining us last time. I am sure that we will be working together again in the future. Uh, but I hope so. vacation. Thank you so much. I hope so. Thank you very much for having us. I really enjoyed the conversation. Bye-bye. Well, that concludes our series with Glenn and Michael Parker on positive influence leaders. I, I know that you've been able to take something away from this episode because like they said, sorry for my dogs in the background, but like they said, anybody can be a positive influence leader. So no matter what role you play, in your school, in your life, I hope you're able to take what you've heard and embody that so that you can be the positive influence leader that your students need, leaders, you're the positive influence leader that your teachers need, that your principals need, um, because we will be better for that and we will create better leaders coming through our pipeline by doing that. Don't forget to check out their book. Remember, the first five emails that Glenn gets will uh, acknowledging this episode and talking about you know what le what teaching or what leading during the pandemic has looked like for you will get a free copy of their book the positive influence leader and it has a self-assessment at the end anyway until next week i hope you have a great week take care